All right, folks, welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, as always, Jason Van Tatenhove. Oh, man, the world is literally on the precipice right now. We're so close to just things just getting way out of control in the Middle East. I mean, we've got two carrier groups over. Uh, China just sent like a destroyer group. Oh, man, we're, we're just going to ignore that our global house and village is burning um, because there's nothing we can really do about that right now. And um, I, I, I don't know what the answers are. I really, really don't. But uh, we're going to talk about something local because, well, that's something we can do about and do something about right now, today. As much as I love covering the Board of Education uh, here in Estes Park, <laughs> oh, as much as I love it, I just feel like I've got to do it. So um, the ballots are out. They are out and you can vote. And I cannot tell you how important this particular election is. In my opinion, it may be the most historic election that we have seen to date in the Estes Valley, at least as far as the uh, school district is concerned. Man, and if you're a local or you just traveled to Estes recently, Man, this loop project is just awful. It's just, you can't get anywhere. The traffic's a mess. You know, thank God there are, you know, we haven't had a, a real fire season because, man, it there are so many people, including myself, that are just so upset with the town and their continued silence on just the whole saga. It just, I think... I think I'm going to have to do a whole episode on just the failure of the loop and um, the attack of the loop is what I should call it because uh, I did a political satire piece years ago when it first happened, uh, just an art piece. And man, I tell you what, it, it, it it's become prophetic. It's just awful. It's having detrimental effects on local business. I mean, locals can't really get anywhere. It's rerouting traffic through neighborhoods. And we had no chance for input on this whatsoever. It's costing us millions of dollars from overages. And, man, I think there are going to be people losing um, political position because of the failure of the loop. And just it's just it's awful. If, you, if, if, if you're thinking of coming up to Estes, you might wait because... I got to tell you, it just is, it's a nightmare. So you might just hold off if you got some, some trips planned until this gets worked out because it, it's, yeah, I, it would take a whole episode or series of episodes to really drill down on why this has just been so awful. And the silence coming from the town is deafening. All right, so we're going to get into the, the school board um, election. I'm going to read a couple of pieces that have been put out. Uh, one's an article from the Colorado Times Recorder. I, I recorded an interview a few weeks back with Logan Davis, who's the author of this article. It really breaks things down well. He's been covering what's been happening. I'm going to go over portions of that. Um, another piece that was brought to my attention, just uh, showing some of the links between some of the um, – the infrastructure of local candidates uh, to um, to other locations across the state where some not so good things have happened. 
Um, and then get, you just read some of the, 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 some Facebook posts that I've come across with community members uh, telling us what they think about the election. So uh, we're just going to jump into that. I, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm literally like two chapters away in my final edit for my re-release of Colorado's Chance of Firewalker, my first ever novel. It's coming up. Uh, Halloween's happening next week. And uh, I actually got an editor this time and really been putting a, a good polish on it. And I hope to have it out by the holiday that people can. I even got a new new cover design for it. Looks great. Um, man, I've really come into understanding just how important that final polish, that that second draft edit really is in the writing process. It's really the the place where it goes from a good story to kind of a, you, you start to work that artistry. It becomes a piece of artwork and really shines. And it's such an important part of it. And, you know, as my, as I grow as a author and a writer, I'm, I'm finding just how important that really is. And this is of course, you know, how I'm going to support my daughters through the holidays. So, uh, so that should be up hopefully next week and available on amazon.com. Um, also my, my agent's going to be looking at it and, uh, maybe getting wider distribution, um, and, uh, going from there, I think with the supernatural series, I'm going to keep that as self-publishing as kind of a self-published as kind of a, a control group, you know, cause I'm, I'm trying things with major publishers. Um, you know, every time I put out a book or a line of books, um, I'm kind of trying different things as far as the publishing world is concerned. Um, to see which is the right path, which is going to be the most beneficial for me and my family. So, you know, with the first one, I thought the first series anyway, I thought I'd just keep it how it is. So anyway, let's, let's jump into this. I, I'm going to read these articles first, um, give a little commentary. All this commentary that you might hear is my opinion. Um, and, um, then I'm going to tell you who I'm going to vote for, uh, when it comes to the election and why, and, um, we'll kind of go from there. I also, we're going to end off the episode with talking with uh, the president of the SS Park Teachers Union. Um, and uh, he's got some insight as to kind of what the um, the election and the issues around the election, kind of how they affect the teachers on the front line and him as an educator. So very interesting uh, interview there. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm about to fly out of town next few days, um, and, uh, next within the next week. And then, um, yeah, I, I'm just so busy trying to get caught up and continue writing on my new book every day and, and get this other book ready for re-release and just the speaking engagements I have. I just, I, I just got to get this out now before all the time goes away. So let's go ahead and, uh, take a look at some of these articles that have been going around. Okay. Again, this is a, a column by Logan M. Davis. Um, the column's title is The Muckracker. And, and it, the article itself is Something Strange is Happening in Estes Park. And again, I just interviewed Logan a few weeks ago. I'm going to link directly to it in the body of this, this piece um, so that you can go back. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely take the time to listen to that. Um, but basically, it starts off with... Um, the process of forming a charter school and then moves into the election. So, um, you know, and this is important. This is relevant to our situation now um, because 
uh, two of the candidates have said that are kind of being run by the same people that ran the the initial um, board of education people the last election who brought forward this charter school it was it was rejected unanimously um, but if it comes up again it's going to cost a whole lot more money to really look at that do the studies involved and whatnot so let's just jump into this article um so it, it starts off with the process for founding a new charter school in colorado is not exactly simple but it is straightforward interested parents and community members come together get some ducks in a row and then file an application with the local school board which has a legal authority to approve or deny charters if a charter is granted the process of opening the new charter school in the district begins. If the school board denies a charter, that's the end of it. Or at least it used to be. Now Colorado School Systems finds itself the target of persistent focus from a determined group of well-funded political actors who appear to be weaponizing that process in ways which could change it forever. I spent much of the summer writing about a right-wing playbook being developed in the Woodland Park School District, a playbook not to dismantle the public education system, but to seize control of it and the streams of funding which come with it and put it to use serving conservative political goals. One maneuver from the Woodland Park playbook is already taking root in other districts in places like Elizabeth and Garfield County. The local school boards have advanced plans to adopt the controversial social studies curriculum, which was rejected by the State Board of Education. It appears that a different part of the Woodland Park playbook is being exported to another school district in another mountain town, Estes Park, where a charter school is not taking no for an answer. With ballots in the mail and voting underway, it has become increasingly clear, at least in the minds of some locals, that the district's ongoing board races are a referendum on a charter the district has already denied. If the strategy succeeds as it succeeded two years ago in Woodland Park, and if it proves replicable, it could open a new front in the war on public education and present a roadmap for defunding districts from the inside. The saga started a year ago, and it started in the normal way of these things. In October 2022, a group of parents and community members in the Estes Park School District came together in support of opening a new charter school in the small mountain town and presented an application to the district. The school the group had hoped to open was to be an expansion campus of an existing charter school, Loveland Classical School, which currently operates in the neighboring Thompson School District down on the plains. The group of boosters felt good about their application. They had even gone so far as to secure a future location for the school at a church in the district. I might note that the church that he's referring to was a church where it was the only place where um, all four candidates agreed to a public forum of their views, Cornerstone Church. Despite its large footprint, the Esses Park School District, technically Esses Park R3, per the state's inscrutable naming conventions, serves just over a 1,000 students, and it's shrinking. The district's student body has shrunk by 7% over the past half decade, per Colorado Department of Education statistics. Against that backdrop, the push to open a new school struck some in the community as odd. Financially, it does not make sense. Board candidate and district parent Brad Sh Shokat 
told Jason Vantino, that's me, of the Colorado Switchblade on a recent podcast episode. We have declining enrollment, not growing enrollment. The lack of need was not the only thing that gave community members pause about the application to open Loveland Classical School, Estes Valley, or the people behind it. Loveland Classical School opened as a charter in the Thompson School District in September 2011, touting a classical model of education and curriculum based on the core knowledge program and the great books approach. In the decade plus of its existence, the school has thrived. It is now a K-12 institution serving more than 900 students spread out across two campuses. Despite its rapid growth and record of decent academic outcomes, LCS has not been without baggage. From its earliest days, the school has had a reputation for political engagement with conservative causes. As one former teacher wrote, the board and administration of the Loveland Classicals have abdicated their responsibility of running a public charter school in order to assume the role of a political action committee. That teacher, Jason S. Martin, described the school as the most politicized and divisive organization he had ever encountered in a blistering op-ed letter published in the Loveland Reporter Herald in 2021. Now, if you go to the link to this article, there are hot links to all these articles that he's mentioning. School leaders, Martin wrote, are so blinded by making political points and appeasing extremists that the school is crumbling. The right wing loves to portray neighborhood public schools as the brainwashing centers of communities. But everything I've witnessed and keep witnessing says the opposite. They're the reasons, he added, why even the school's founders no longer send their children to LCS. The school also stood against COVID guidance in 2020, holding in-person classes in the second half of that year before vaccines became available. When LCS boosters brought their chapter application to the Estes Park School Board, additional concerns emerged about the involvement of a local pastor, Bruce Finger. Finger, a member of the board of Loveland Classical Schools, is also the pastor of Cornerstone Church of the Estes Valley, the location proposed to house LCS's Estes expansion. Residents like Peggy Mowerman raised concerns about separation of church and state. Quote, how can LCSEV, a public school funded by public tax dollars, reside within a church and yet claim that they will have no influence? Marilman is quoted as saying in the Estes Park Trail Gazette, the bigger concern about Finger's involvement in the proposal came down to money. If the Estes Park School Board approved the charter application, Cornerstone Church would have received an influx of $50,000 in state funds in order to make improvements necessary for hosting a school, in addition to $15,000 per month for hosting the school, per the application LCS submitted to the district. In other words, the approval of the LCS Estes Valley Charter would have triggered a financial windfall for another organization run by an LCS board member. Late last year, the school attempted to dispel these concerns, saying that they had chosen Cornerstone for the convenience of location, and noting that the $50,000 figure was just an estimate. The damage, it seemed, was already done. I believe around 75% of the community comments were against it, Shokat told the Colorado Switchblade, referring to the process the district underwent to solicit public comment on the charter proposal. 
In February of this year, citing a lack of evidence that the school could attract adequate enrollment and the unrealistic estimate for renovations to the proposed facility, the Estes Park School Board unanimously denied Loveland Classical School's application. Then the school board races started. Some dispute the description of the Estes Park School Board contest as a referendum on the LCS charter application. Others have told me that's exactly what it is. In recent weeks, I have spoken or corresponded with three of the four candidates running for two seats on the Estes School Board. Two of those candidates have been perfectly clear about their positions. They oppose the LCS charter application as community members and would continue to do so as school board members. The other two candidates, only one of whom spoke with uh, Logan, have been less clear about their stance on the charter. Additional clarity, however, can be found in their campaign finance records. Though school-related issues are scrambling partisan lines in districts around the state, the equation in Estes Park is mercifully simple. There are two open seats and four candidates running to fill them. While the races are nonpartisan and none of the candidates are running as a slate with any of the others, there is a clear bifurcation in the field. On one side, there are candidates Brad Shokat and Brenda Wiss. And on the other side are candidates Kiri Cox and Kevin Morris. Weiss and Shokat have been recommended to voters by the Essex Park Education Association, who will be talking to their president after uh, later on in the episode. And Morris, while Cox and Morris share a different group of backers, all four are running against each other for two open seats, which are elected at large. Weiss was the first candidate in the race, and nothing about her candidacy has given any indication that she cares much about politics. What she cares about, it seems, is education and the long-term health of the district. She helped create the district's five-year plan and is running in part to bring that plan to fruition. She wants to ensure that the district leadership remains committed to and focused on the recent five-year strategic plan that emphasizes academic achievement and growth, as well as student and teacher wellness. Wiss has also spoken out against bringing LCS to the district. I believe in supporting the institutions that we have in place, she said. I want to help make them better and stronger. I don't want to dilute resources by creating new ones. Her main reason for running, she told me, is to ensure that the students of Estes Park receive the quality public education they deserve. She laments that people have been caught up in politics and lost sight of keeping the students, their education and futures as a primary focus. Showcat seems to seems cut from the same cloth as Wiss. His de facto slate mate in the Essex School Board scrum, a Nevada native, Shokat and his wife relocated, relocated to Northern Colorado to pursue master's degrees at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. He's the father of elementary schoolers in the district and has been a longtime volunteer for school causes. He recently served on the committee to create a five-year plan for the district alongside Weiss. Whenever the school asks for help, I'm there to help, Shokat told Logan when asked why he had decided to run for office. I see this as a kind of natural next step of that, a position where it's a little more formal. There's a little more that I can do at a high level to help steer the district in the right direction. Regarding the push to open a new branch of Love and Classical School in the district, 
Chokat told me his objections were primarily about the district's size and finances. My personal opinion is that we are too small for a second school of any type right now. And that's really what it is. With declining enrollment, we don't need a second campus. We cannot afford the cost of another campus. Instead of focusing on LCS, Shokat is putting his attention on the old-fashioned stuff. The number one goal is academic growth and achievement. Shokat and Wiss entered the race, entering the race did not send the local rumor mill into overdrive. That didn't happen until the other two candidates filed. Kiri Cox, a mother of six, moved to Estes Park from Northern California in October of 2022. Cox and her husband were listed among the original boosters for the Loveland Classical School in Estes Park. Cox told me that she supported the school because she is pro every educational opportunity, home tutoring, anything to get the child the best education they possibly can get and to have the best outcome. They, LCS, were offering to help a town right next to them, right? They were offering us their services. They invested money and time into it. And we all here said no. I didn't, but everyone else said no. And the majority rules in this society of democracy, Cox told me when we spoke by phone, before quickly casting doubt on the idea that the true majority had spoken. But there is a silent majority, she said, that didn't want the aggressiveness or the black backlash to their children. There was a silent majority that was worried about coming forward because that happens. Cox takes umbrage at the idea that anyone thinks she is running as part of a broader pro LCS plot. I don't have a hidden agenda. She told me repeatedly, but if a group of parents with a bunch of students comes again to apply for a charter for whatever reason, from wherever, that's not Kyrie's agenda. But if this group of people comes up again, whoever this new group of people may be, while I'm serving, if I'm elected, I've got to look at the data. I've got to look at what we can do, and we'll have to take another vote. Cox said her focus is on the school's middling achievement scores and stopping the district from being put into school improvement by the state. If the school goes down and they break apart and whatever the state does, They'll have more pressing concerns than Kyrie Cox may be having some hidden agenda, Cox told me. Kevin Morris, who identifies himself as a follower of Jesus Christ and a politically politically conservative, did not agree to speak with me for this piece. According to posts on his campaign Facebook page, he has campaigned closely with Cox and expressed concerns about public schools, usurping the role of parents and families to raise their children as they please. The language of usurpation echoes a rhetoric used in the broader parents' rights movement, which has been responsible for pushing book bans and anti-LGBTQ plus policies in school districts across the country in the past two years. When Cox and Morris filed their paperwork simultaneously on September 1st, it was not their platforms or biographies which sent the rumor mill spinning. Rather, it was a name on their paperwork. Marge Klein's name is familiar to anyone who has paid attention to the electoral side of Colorado politics for long enough. A compliance specialist, Klein works with conservative and Republican candidates in Colorado to keep their campaign finance records in order and file the required raising and spending reports with the Secretary of State's office. And she's prolific at it. Since 2009, conservative candidates in Colorado have paid Klein's company, SWS, Polifi, more than 900,000 
per the state's campaign finance database. Klein has served as the registered agent for hundreds of conservative campaigns in Colorado, including roughly 30 conservative school board candidates around the state right now. In 2020, Klein served as treasurer for her most famous client, Lauren Boebert. When Cox and Morris filed with Marge Klein as a registered agent, Estes Park locals quickly took note of Klein's connection to a constellation of other conservative candidates and causes. They also took note of who was contributing money to the pair's campaign. Kyrie Cox has been the main donor to her own campaign, which is not unusual in small races. What is unusual, though, is who her other donors have been, excluding the money she has given her own campaign. 91% of the money Cox has raised has come from original boosters of the LCS, Estes Valley Charter Application. The share is slightly lower for Morris, but no less conclusive. 73% of Morris's campaign, War Chest, was contributed by original LCS boosters. Cox and Morris also have donors in common, including Jay Jacobsmeyer, a prolific Republican donor and original LCS EV booster who has supported Mike Kaufman, Lauren Boebert, and other high-profile Colorado Republicans in the past. The pair also received matching contributions from Dana Maxwell, an Estes Park local who, along with her husband Peter, organized the LCS charter application effort in the district. The appearance of a coordinated push by conservative organizations, particularly those dedicated to issues of school choice, to elevate Cox and Morris has only grown in recent weeks. On Monday, the Colorado Conservative Patriot Alliance recommended the duo to its followers. Cox and Morris have also been endorsed by Smart Choice Colorado, a Colorado GOP website run by former Moms for Liberty lead Darcy Schooning. That lists Republican preferred candidates for school districts all over the state. Then there's Truth and Liberty. Based in Woodland Park, Truth and Liberty is the political arm of a globe-spanning ministry empire led by controversial faith healer Andrew Womack. Womack has made headlines for demonizing the queer community after the Club Q shooting. All class all the way. And suggesting that LGBTQ plus people should be required to put a label on their foreheads. Womack also employs Joshua Luer, a Ugandan clergyman who is best known for lobbying on behalf of the nation's 2014 bill to punish homosexuality with life in prison. In recent years, Womack's political operation via Truth and Liberty, an array of front groups and brand names, has taken particular interest in school boards. This year, they are interested in Estes Park. Womack's focus on school boards is not a fluke. It's part of his whole shtick as what's called a Seven Mountains Mandate, or 7M Dominionist. Womack is a leader in a strain of Christian nationalism that believes in conquering the seven mountains of society for Christ. They include religion, family, government, media, business, entertainment, and let's not forget education. Womack's focus on school boards is a merging of the two mountains his ministry places the most focus on, government and education. Last week, Truth and Liberty, the vehicle by which Andrew Womack pursues his millenarian political project, released its biennial school board 
voter guides under the name Transform Colorado. The group issues guides for 30 Colorado districts evaluating candidates in categories with names like transgenderism, parental rights, boys and girls sports. The Esses Park Guide gives Cox and Morris approval in all categories. Whether they agreed to be a part of it or not, Cox and Morris's candidates have been pulled into the same statewide conservative machine that has brought chaos to Woodland Park, Garfield County, and other school districts across Colorado. And I want to note, when I went to their, their public forums, their meet and greets, they had that, and I'll include a picture of it um, in the article, they had that voter guide um, that they were giving out. Should Cox and Morris prevail in the Esses Park elections this November, they can expect the men behind the curtain to come knocking. There is one question I never got a straight answer to while reporting this piece. Does Loveland Classical School plan to bring a new application to the district if Cox and Morris are elected? There are so many unknowns, right? I haven't spoken to them about it, Cox told me. I haven't done anything like that. Others have been equally vague. Peter and Dana Maxwell, organizers of the original booster group, referenced next steps in their statement to the Loveland Reporter Herald when the application was denied. And Ian Stout, director of Loveland Classical Schools, said that LCS will remain open to partnering with Esses Park School District to help serve its students and families. The prospect of the application reappearing once a new board is seated is troubling. One could conceivably argue that a post-election reversal of the charter decision would be democracy in action. But that's hardly the case. School board elections are notoriously low turnout affairs. In most parts of the state, they are also remarkably cheap as far as elections go. The combination of low turnout and low pricing tag makes these races uniquely vulnerable to outside influence. Combined, Cox and Morris have raised just shy of $10,000. An outside PAC or C4 could spend five times that amount on mail or digital advertising between now and election day without breaking a sweat. We can make a big deal about our free will and complex emotions as voters, but those objections tend to flatten out under five to one spending margins. It's this vulnerability to outside influence which makes school board races such a rich opportunity for the vast network of conservative organizations determined to remake the school system. From a strategic standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Why spend $500,000 to be a minor player in a congressional race when you could spend $50,000 and be the unbeatable giant in a school board race? The price of entry is cheap. The reward for victory is direct. The opportunity to tinker with the mechanisms of education in real time. The opportunity, hypothetically, to approve an already denied charter application and reap a windfall. You could sink all that money into a congressional candidate and never get anywhere close to the results. The problem with this vulnerability in the system is not that it allows charter schools. Education is complicated. Kids are different. And the budget strictures imposed by Tabor can make charters necessity in certain parts of the state. That's a separate debate entirely. Rather, the problem with the vulnerability in the system is that it's a new crack in the piggy bank of per-pupil funding, and it presents a roadmap for breaking the bank completely. What happens if outside actors realize that they can charterize entire districts and siphon off millions of dollars to out-of-state vendors? 
and that they can do it all for the low, low price of some rural school board races? I'm afraid we might find out. If Cox and Morris win and LCS, Estes Valley is ultimately granted a charter, we can expect to see a strategy exported to more districts in two years, a strategy which adds another step to the bottom of the standard process for charter school application approval in Colorado. If your application to operate a charter is denied, buy a school new school board and try again. It's cheaper than you think. All right, folks. So again, that was me reading an article because I felt it was important and I didn't know if people would take the time to read it because, you know, we, we have limited attention spans these days, but I know a lot of people listen to this while they're going to work or, you know, doing their stuff during the day. So again, this is from the Muckracker column by Logan M. Davis at the Colorado Times Recorder. And I will put a direct link into the article itself, but I really suggest you read all of his coverage of school board happenings here in Colorado. It's all under the muckracker and man, they, the, and the Colorado times recorder is really covering as many of the school board uh, elections as they can, when it comes to these issues of, of right-wing takeover. So uh, I, I just can't strongly, I, I just can't recommend enough that you go check them out. All right, so let's mix things up a little bit. We're going to jump right next into an interview with the president of the Estes Park Education Association, or otherwise known as the Teachers Union. So let's hear what educators have to say, at least one, um, about the election and its ramifications on the issues that they're facing every day in the trenches teaching our, our kids, which is no easy task. All right, folks, welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. And again, we're we're uh, talking about the school board election and just how important of an issue it is right now. Um, right now, the, the ballots have officially been mailed out as of Monday. And um, so now is really crunch time. And I think more than anything else, um, really just spreading word about getting out there the, to vote. You may be out there and, and living in, whether it's in Pinewood Springs, um, then down in Drake, um, wherever you may live, if you got, if you are within our school district, if you have kids that go to school in your area in Estes Park, you can vote in this, um, even if you don't have kids. So this is open to all voters that are within the school district. And today we're bringing back on Andrew Burden, who is the president of the teachers union, the Estes Park Education Association. That's correct. Uh, yeah. So just check in with us. What, what are you thinking about the election? What are the teachers thinking about it? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Jason. As always, I'm going to do my disclaimer that while I am the president of the EPEA Teachers Union and also a teacher at the high school, any of this conversation is coming from me uh, as an individual, and I am not representing either of those two entities in anything I say. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's definitely an exciting election. There's a lot going on. And even since you and I last spoke, there have been more uh, public events. There's been more letters to the editors of our local newspapers. There's been more of all of our candidates going on record so that we can kind of see what they're about in both what they say and the choices that they make in the appearances that they've done and so forth. So uh, I like you, I feel like it's a super critical election for everybody to vote uh, in whether you're affiliated with the school or not, whether you have kids or grandkids in the school or not, it's super important. 
it really does feel like as one of my colleagues, uh, the civics teacher was saying, a chance to really kind of affect things at a local level that eventually trickle into the national, I don't even want to say political climate, I'd say more national leadership climate, if you will. So uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on and it's getting near the end, being only a couple weeks away, I guess. So getting kind of to be crunch time for us. Yeah. And I know that I'm certainly, I have some concerns um, about a couple of the what seem to be platform items. Um, uh, recently, we, and I'll be linking to this in the uh, show notes of this particular episode, um, it's a voter's guide put out um, that uh, to me really, uh, it, it seems to be, there's definitely some issues with separation of church and state um, that are happening. And I just wanted to get your perspective on those types of issues because you know this is certainly an issue that that's here in our community now um i myself am not a religious person you know i i i, I think organized religion uh definitely has its issues um and historically so i think there's plenty of, of reason to be skeptical of it but it seems to be that that you know a couple of candidates are really pushing for kind of more of a uh a, a, almost a christian idealism um in their campaigns how do you as a teacher how does that sit with you it doesn't sit very well and um it has concerned me also i mean at a national level all the way down to this particular election all the candidates have first of all have a lot of to offer and some have some great talking well they all have great talking points there are things i agree with all with all four of them and i I believe in their own way, they're interested in doing what's right for the school and what they see it's right. But I'm noticing that on the sly, in sort of a backdoor fashion, some of the campaigning is being done in a way that is trying to appeal to voters that identify as conservative and Christian or conservative Christians, if you will. And even in some of the conversations, especially ones where there are only two candidates present, the idea of religion and politics is coming up as a way to bring certain voters in. And that I find that to be troublesome. I've always have throughout history, uh, in at least in the US, and it doesn't matter to me, religion or not, or politics or not, this particular election shouldn't be about politics. It shouldn't be about whether you do or don't pray and who that's to. And some of the appearance choices by two of our candidates, um, like where they're, who they're talking to and what they're saying to those people, as well as some of the people campaigning for them around town on foot. They're trying to really bring in the conservative Christian vote. And that, if that's how you're going to appeal to people to get in, that means in a way you're making contractual promises to those voters to operate out of that lens once you're on the board. And I find that to be very troubling. Yeah, I was at a candidate forum where uh, one of the people that was there making a comment of, you know, last time we were told that we were going to get a charter school and these agendas were going to be pushed and they weren't necessarily with the other two board members. So what, what guarantees do we have? And that to me was concerning. Um, one of the other issues that's really been brought up a lot um, is absenteeism and low test scores. Um, now, what I wanted to ask you was, are those really significant issues coming out of what we did with the, the pandemic and just the, the upheaval we've seen socially due to that, um, you know, are, are things as concerning as they make them out to be in the day-to-day -day trench work of, of uh, teaching? 
I think those are both very big issues, uh, and there's no way around them uh, that they are big issues. They're big issues in our district and in many other districts. Now, that does not absolve us from putting forth a concerted effort to go after them. I'm speaking especially from the high school lens, since that's where I am. I do see some absenteeism, although I was looking over some notes from Brad Shockett, and he said that the definition of truancy were only at about 2% when it aligns with that uh, truant, which I'm not sure about. And uh, I also know that we don't have a lot of support from uh, Colorado, whatever governmental agencies when it comes to prosecuting truancy. So that's that's all, all an all hands on deck effort with uh, attendance, a community thing, a teacher thing, a, a principal thing, a school thing. So I do find that to be important. Our test scores are, are something we want to work on. And I do agree with all four candidates that reading, writing, and arithmetic, the academics are important, and we, we are working on those. And I don't like the implication when these candidates haven't been in enough classes to see, at least the high school, that we're not focusing on that. And uh, that's where I get worried that some of these national talking points about schools abandoning traditional uh, education material for social emotional uh, learning, I, I feel like these candidates are in in a backdoor way of saying we're doing that, and I don't know that they're informed on that. So, yeah, we've got we got plenty of work to do, and we're all aware of it now more than ever, and that's where we need everybody to get involved. What What do you think are the most important issues um, that a, a new school board um, would be facing? Um, what 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 really are the the, the big things we have to be looking at well I think once whatever school boards elected happens I think some unification and all that in the community in the schools is the first thing we can we can attack these issues of test scores through uh professional development for teachers and help from the community and same thing with absenteeism but if it feels like we're dealing with partisan bickering or religious bickering uh with certain ratios of people on the board then all of a sudden, you know, we're we're losing a lot of the of the page there. And I got to be honest, as a teacher, there I love the community, and there are many people that make me feel so supported. But on the other hand, I don't mind being scrutinized. I'm a you know public civil servant, if you will. But I also want to know that, or I'd rather put out there that everybody's welcome in my classroom, and I I would love to make an appointment for anybody that's interested in coming to see and hear what we do because. The idea that we're not transparent, at least in the high school, with our curriculum or with what we're teaching, and this has come up in some conversations in the forums, is a little bit unfair and a little bit deflating and demoralizing, and people don't understand what that does to teachers. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not singing the blues for teachers and saying we have it so hard and all that, but it, everybody's got to get, got to get together or this community is going to have just more and more struggles, and that's at a town level that's at a school level so once you do that i think you can start unlocking these other doors when it comes to testing and absenteeism absolutely well um i really just wanted to touch base with you and, and really kind of see what what the focus was from the from an educator's point of view um you know we're hearing all these talking points we're, we're hearing you know uh, people say that you can't the the way we're doing things is wrong kind of in a, a shaded way but really I, I i feel like it's really hard to deal with especially teenagers i know because i deal with them every day and man i i would not want to be in your shoes 
Um, and it's such critically important work that you all are doing. And, you know, I, I have my run-ins with teachers and, and staff as well, just being a parent and doing what I do in the community. But, you know, I, I think it's just important to listen to, you know, your perspective, your side of things. And so I thought it was important to have you come on. Is there anything you want to to add to this that we haven't touched on? Yeah, well, maybe it's circling back. I think community unity is going to be key no matter what happens, who gets elected. Um, now, the the last thing I'll say about the political religious aspect of campaigning that alarms me, and then I'll move on, is you don't want me as a teacher playing my hand when it comes to religion and politics in my classroom. And I agree, I shouldn't. So I don't understand why people are campaigning to be in a bipartisan school board position and they're not being held to that standard, or at least they're trying to win according to that standard. Now, that trickles into some of the decisions that at least two of these uh, candidates are making in appearances they will and will not engage in. You know, it's one thing to not get involved in a questionnaire and survey and interview from the local education association, though I think that's silly because it does matter that we're teachers. We have a important ringside opinions and I hate it that there's a political move against unions that's swaying these candidates. But it's another thing to not appear in certain places like the League of Women Voters forums where you think, you know, you're not, you, you might get attacked and then therefore you don't want to be involved or walking out of the Trail Gazette interview because, um, you know, you don't have your spouse with you. Um, if those are the decisions we're making during the campaign. What kind of decisions are we going to make when adversity happens if you're the school board member? Um, so. You know, you don't want me running away when I have a bad day out of the, the schoolroom, uh, out of the, my classroom, and you don't want me being political or religious. I get it. So I just want to know how are these people going to react to challenges if they do get elected? So that's my uh, one large concern I have. I'm not trying to get on here and attack any of the candidates. As I said in the beginning, all four candidates have a lot to offer, I think. But my concerns, which you articulated some of and I kind of added to, are, are really serious. And I think it's a super huge election. Are these candidates, two of them, going to focus on the charter school again? Because let me tell you, last year, that was a very divisive thing that put our town and our school in the mud. And it took away a lot of valuable time I had to prepare for. And money. Yeah, and money, too. It took away a lot of the time I had to get better test scores, to produce more reading, writing, arithmetic, um, you know, let us do our job. Uh, come on in. If, uh, if anybody wants to see what I do in my classroom, it's an open door. I have curriculum. I've heard it said on a radio talk show that we're being not transparent with our curriculum. And I take complete umber umbrage with that. I'd be glad to show that off. So, uh, you know, I, I want to work with everybody, no matter where they, how they vote and who they pray to because that's on the sideline right now. We all want what's best for the kids. And I think some of our bickering and some of our choices is taken away from that. And that's a huge concern of mine as a teacher. How do you feel um, if, if we do see candidates that have more of a religious bent and we've seen um, on some of the, the, the voter uh, guides, the ones that were chosen to be done were, were put out by religious organizations, I would say political religious organizations and, and very, um specific in in some of the things we're talking about but you know we do have an lgbtq plus community within the high school and the junior high you know this is reality sex happens with teenagers in high school um you know 
what are your thoughts about how this might affect them um, being an educator and, and working with them every day? Um, you know, what, 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 what does that look like to a kid now trying to navigate high school now and then having a school board comes in that, that does not recognize the, the, the life that they are living? It's absolutely deflating. I mean, you know, it, nobody, in my opinion, in that classroom, at least, you know, outside of that, that's your conversation. That's not my job to focus on, but nobody is illegal. Nobody is biologically wrong. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in educating the student that walks in the door to the best of my ability. Now, I'm not, I'm not interested in being a psychologist or a psychiatrist with them, but on the other hand, the reality of it is nobody's no mental health issues stop at the door and teachers have to be bulletproof on that. And then they're asking us not to listen to kids when they open up to us. And, you know, and then they throw words like grooming around, which is actually just hateful uh, in my mind, unless there's some truth to it, which is also then hateful and terrible. Um, but you're asking me to check all my spiritual and political preferences at the door as an educator. If you want to be an over on the oversight board, above me or you know in partnership with me in the classroom and i'm asking you to do the same i think that's fair i, I think that absolutely <laughs> all right um well that kind of hit everything i wanted to hit um is uh, again i want to offer you chances or anything else you'd like to discuss that we haven't talked about no no i uh there's been some more transparencies since you and i last spoke but i'm still wondering why nonpartisan events won't draw all four candidates and partisan ones will held obviously at a church and yeah. i i might add that forum was held during teacher parent conferences which kept teachers from attending it so yeah. that really that that struck me as as uh yeah odd uh, yeah if you want to work with me then i'd like to be part of the conversation and if you're going to ask me difficult questions about my instruction, which I welcome, then I hope you'll welcome mine about your motives as you campaign and how you operate if you become a school board member. Um, you know, this isn't about ego. This isn't about anything but the students. And I believe in my heart that all these candidates want what they think is best for the kids. It's just we all got to work together. And, you know, I uh, even appreciate outside non-education related candidates like a few that we have because I think they bring a great business or engineering perspective that I don't have as an educator but I promise I am an expert in my field um so let me come show you sometime all right okay well thanks so much for coming on Andrew we we, we appreciate it and uh I certainly appreciate the work you're doing with our kids here in in the SS Valley Thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Appreciate the work you're doing here. And I hope everyone that hears this uh, gets out and votes the way they feel is best for our kids. Have a good one. But vote. Go out and please. vote. And then if you don't have kids, please. Okay, now I wanted to share with you a audio interview with um, Cox and Morris. And uh, I'm not sure what radio show it came from, but it obviously has a, a right slant to it. It's making the rounds on social media, which is where I found it on Facebook, um, a copy of it. Um, but I thought it was, for those of you who weren't able to make it out to the selective um, venues to hear uh, their 
their platform and their beliefs. I thought it was uh, enlightening. So I'm going to go ahead and play it right here, right now, just so that you guys can have it as you make your informed decision about who to vote for. And Kevin Morris, also welcome to the show. Hi, Kim. I'm glad I'm here. Thanks. Okay, great. Kyrie, let's begin with you. Uh, So you're candidates for the Estes Park School Board, correct? Correct. And why, Kyrie, have you decided to run for school board? I have my husband and I have six children total. We have three in the district. I am a teacher, credentialed teacher. I teach K-8. I'm taking time off right now to stay home with my three younger children. And they were in the school system. My daughter's been there since kindergarten. And she kept coming home with um, unusual things that she was saying, social things and uh, adult opinions and things like that. And I had concerns and her academics um, just weren't where they should be. And so I did homeschool her actually to get her caught up. And so the, through the academic concerns of the teacher and as a parent, some of the stuff she was saying just didn't fall into line for age appropriateness. And so I was asking questions going into the school, being a teacher, I'm very curious. And so I was asking questions, having meetings, being pushed to the chain of command. And then I got all the way up to the top there to the superintendent. And then I was told that it's policy. It's our policy, these um, unusual things I was hearing. And so I decided, well, I need to run for school board because I was talking to the other parents in the community and they had issues, the same kind of issues my husband and I are dealing with at home that are not age appropriate things that they're being told in the classroom. And when you ask your questions, you're put off. And then I, you know, naturally as a mom, I become very concerned because this is, teachers teach social skills, not social agendas, and they're supposed to be sticking to straight academics every day, all day with some electives mixed in for fun, like art. <laughs> so I, just wow. I better get in there and look at the policy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And Kevin Morris, why have are you running for school board in Estes Park? Okay. The, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, I pray. Uh, I'm conservative. I'm a retired geologist. I was a retired. Um, I also was a VP of HR. Or 1,100 people. Um, prior to that, I ran a division looking for oil and gas. Um, we spent a budget annually of 400 to 450 million dollars. Uh, it was interesting talking, listening to you talk about the energy industry before we, you picked us up. But anyhow, the biggest thing is we should be preparing students to be successful. Per, productive members of our society. If they don't know English, if they don't know how to read and write, if they don't know arithmetic, they're always going to serve someone who does. And that continual slide in the academics here in Estes, and then the leaning towards trying to get social justice done. The, we're not supposed to be teaching our students what the parents should be teaching them. In other words, children are dependent on their mothers and their fathers, and we want them to be taught by their mothers and their fathers. We want them to be supported by the school system as they learn rigorous academics, rather than having to deal with things that they're not emotionally, morally, or intellectually able to handle. 
that's what's causing the depression, the confusion, the anxiety, and for that matter, the suicide numbers to continue to go up because they're not being taught fundamentals. They're being taught things that confuse and take them off the path. I never dreamed that this would be happening in America, uh, in our schools, but uh, my gosh, I, I'm kind of surprised that it's happening in Estes Park. So Kyrie Cox, uh, tell us, can uh, are, are there different districts? Can everybody in Estes Park, the Estes Park School District, uh, vote? What does that entail exactly? So tell us about that, Kyrie. Right, right. And so um, those that can vote are in the EPSC R3 district, and that includes Estes Park, the town of Estes Park, and then Glen Haven, Allen's Park, and Pinewood Springs area. Okay, and so everybody can vote. And how many school board directors are there on the board? There are currently five directors. And how many seats are up for election? There are two seats up. Okay, okay. Uh, and let's see, uh, so I think that answers that question. Uh, how can people get more information uh, about you, Kyrie Cox? Um, I have a website, KyrieCox.com, where I have a, a bio about myself and then some upcoming events that we're going to be doing, some meet and greets. So I would ask people to check that out. And yeah, I think the website, and I also have a Facebook. Okay. And so that's Kyrie, it's K-Y-R-I-C-O-X.com, correct? K-Y-R-I-C-O-X.com? Correct. Okay, and I, I want to ask you one other thing, and that, and I think you alluded to it, but parental rights and also transparency of curriculum and what's going on in the classroom. It, it sounds like hidden behind policy is is maybe lack of transparency. Am I connecting the correct dot on that, Kyrie? You are absolutely correct, Kim. The problem in the classroom, being a teacher myself, is that I had a back-to-school night where I had all the curriculum out in front of me, and I explained my classroom procedures and policies and let the, teacher, the, um, the parents view the curriculum. Every time I ask to see the curriculum, I'm put off. I'm, and being a teacher, naturally, I'd want to see that. My children are raised in church. I'm a conservative Christian. And so they're telling them things that, I don't believe we're in the state standards. I'm printing out the science state standards today to go have yet another meeting. I have had meeting after meeting bringing in standards and asking them. And then I've been told some teachers don't have curriculum. They're getting their, their curriculum online and we're losing teachers because they're not providing curriculum. And so the things they are providing, they're getting themselves, which is unheard of. And I have to check into the Department of Education in the state of Colorado to see if that's even okay. And that's, completely off base and inappropriate not even to have and have a teacher making up curriculum online and so there's no transparency with curriculum they will not let you see it i can't go anywhere to look at it they see it show it to you briefly some oh we have these two we're going to choose and like as i said being a teacher that was the first thing i did then i asked for a curriculum night i was told they're going to have one in september we had an open house which is like a little party meet and greet no curriculum no classroom procedures no policies and so as a teacher, that I've never even started a classroom without sharing the curriculum with the parents and having them view it and ask questions. So this is very unusual to me. 
Are the parents welcome in the classroom? They are absolutely unwelcome. I'm a credentialed licensed teacher. I have offered, my daughter's now in seventh grade, I've offered to go in the classroom, tutor children. When I had parents that were teachers, I had, when I had parents who were licensed, I had them right in the classroom helping me alongside me. I have volunteered every year. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna let you in the classroom. Oh yeah, and other parents. And now I've helped start PTO last year in sixth, seventh, eighth grade where they're really targeting this age group. And I volunteered and volunteered and I'm allowed to do maybe a little bit of PTO, but I'm not allowed. And if I come into the classroom, the principal was really, had a lot of anxiety about it. And I did sit down in my son's English class in eighth grade and I did not like what I heard. And the children did not look happy. My children are not happy coming home. There should be joy and fun in learning. There shouldn't be one voice. We're a diverse public. Public education is all about diversity. And there's one voice being very loud in the classroom, and it is not the children. And so if the, if the teachers are being forced to teach something against their will or against their own personal feelings, this is not okay. So I have to get on the board to see who is pushing these agendas, and that's what I aim to do. I'm hoping to get elected. I'm working really hard towards that so I can get into the classroom as a board member and I can start talking to admin to see what's happening. What is going on in school? You should be able to drop your child off, wave them goodbye, and not question all day long what they're being told. Right, right. Well, Kevin Morris, uh, how can people get more information about you? Well, <clears throat> obviously the local newspapers. And then I have a Facebook page, a couple of them actually, that they can get their information on. But I, I, I want to echo what Kyrie said. One of the issues in Estes is chronic absenteeism. Why are students absent? Well, their parents and family are the key to that. And as she's talked about it from one point, we need to encourage the families to be participate, to, to welcome the input, because without that, the students aren't even there to teach. So attendance is a, is a huge issue for them. But again, the biggest issue is trying to figure out, for me financially, where does the $17,000 a year for each student go? Where's that money going? Um, I have a friend who started a charter, who's a board member for a charter school in Tulsa. Um, their annual is 7,500 for students. Where's the extra 10,000 go? And why is it not being spent on curriculum, on books, on teachers to provide the best education we can? Obviously there are other things that we need to do. But the reality is if you don't start with the foundation and that's getting the parents absolutely involved. And, and of course in Estes we have a number of about 30% of our students are uh, Hispanic or minorities and some of them aren't English first language. So we have to create opportunities for all those students to succeed, but it's still fundamental. Just like Kyrie said, she needs to be back in the classroom, but all those parents need to be welcomed into the educational system to know what their kids are doing and then they'll support it and then they'll attend and we won't have the issues we have with the anxiety and the confusion and the depression that we hear from every virtually everyone we talk to.
Wow. And again, so what's that Facebook page, uh, Kevin? This is Kevin Morris uh, okay. here in Estes, so it's not, okay. it's not hard to find. Okay. Well, uh, Kyrie Cox, uh, thank you. Kevin Morris, thank you. And again, that is Kyrie Cox, K-Y-R-I-C-O-X.com. And then Kevin Morris, K-E-V-I-N-M-O-R-R-I-S on Facebook. Uh, thanks to both of you for stepping forward to run for school board. Appreciate, And that's up in Estes Park, the Estes Park uh, School District. So thank you. All right. I think that kind of speaks for itself there thought in the spirit of fair use that it was appropriate to play that um, again i'm not sure exactly which radio show it's from um, but it is out there on social media in the uh, realm of facebook so um so let's speaking of what community sentiment is uh let's go ahead i want to look at another post and i believe this also made it as a letter to the editor um in the trail gazette um, but I'm going to go ahead and just read one last piece here talking about, because I think this person does a good job of kind of summarizing uh, where we are. Candidates have spoken, fortified their platforms and ideologies, and made what they stand for abundantly clear. Candidates Cox and Morris are backed by pro-charter money conservative extremist ideologies and one-dimensional understanding of our student demographics. They're clearly pro-charter, anti-public school, focused on eliminating mental health support in schools, and believe the current administration, Ms. Bodie, and all principals and teachers included, are overwhelmed, underskilled, and not equipped to drive improvement. Cox built her campaign on a foundation of lies, and buildings such as an unstable foundation will lead to it to crumble quickly, leaving kids and teachers buried in the rubble. And Morris has shown only nuclear Christian families have a place in this school system. That anyone or any teaching not conforming to those ideologies are not welcome in this district. For those reasons and many others if you've seen, I urge voters to oppose the candidates of Cox and Morris. Candidate Brenda Wiss has led with her heart and a North Star as, a true, as true as any candidate when it comes to her beliefs. She's been engaged, involved in schools, transparent, even when unconventional, and believes every student in our district deserves a chance at success. Her fervor for education is evident, and her ability to emphasize and work to understand the varying needs of our students and staff is apparent. She'll bring an openness to our board that is sorely needed. We'll speak up for her beliefs without question, and we'll bring a steady and welcome presence to the board, and we'll listen and work to advocate for the needs of all students and staff alike. I fully endorse Brenda Wiss as a candidate in this year's election. Candidate Brad Shokit has been involved in the lives of our teachers and students as many candidates as any candidate this year. From coaching multiple sports teams to tutoring math to reading at Bobcats and books, participating on the District Academic Accountability Committee, or DAAC, and helping with the five-year strategic planning. He's worked to understand the landscape from a macro perspective that is sorely needed. Likewise, his strong business acumen, cool demeanor, and people leadership experience in a technical field can serve both college seeking and CTE students and teachers alike. I fully endorse Brad Shokit as a candidate in this year's election. Combined candidates Weiss and Shokit have led with positivity and proactive involvement in our schools and our communities and bring a well-rounded pairing ready to work with the current student staff and administration and make good on the progress already 
in flight and the five-year strategic plan laid out. They support the district's drive for more volunteers and parental involvement teaching the whole student, both academically and emotionally, and believe a well-executed plan led by the stability of a proven educator and leader in our district is the way to go. So it goes on to say, and I think this is very important. And now we're at a pivot point. Ballots are out. I received mine today. The known positive and negative components of each candidate are known, and we are likely not to find any other additional groundbreaking information in the next couple of weeks that will change their views. We are there. It's time to vote. So first, get out and vote. Now, voter participation was abysmal in the last school board election. That can't happen again. Second, make sure folks you know are informed and vote. Don't sit behind your computers only. Encourage people to vote. Offer to drive them to drop off ballots. And no, not casting a vote. Maybe may casting a vote for an opposing candidate. They go on to put out a call, which I think is very important at this point, to put the negativity behind us and move forward in support of whoever your preferred candidates are. Mention their names, post pictures of your sign supporting them, thank them for their service and courage, make your own declarations of who you are supporting and why, let folks know when you're canvassing for candidates, and tell your teachers and staff how important they are and that we have their backs. I cannot echo those sentiments any better. It is so important that now, now all the the info's out there, we go vote. It is just vitally important. And here's what's another important piece of information. If you reside within the school district, which covers Estes Park, down to Drake, over to Pinewood Springs, up to Allen's Park, if you are within the school district, no matter what county you're in, you're eligible to vote regardless of whether you have children in the district or not. Um, because we all pay for the funding that the, for the district, you know, we, we are in charge as voters. So we must make our voices known and make them heard. It is so important to vote. And I also want to say, I told you, I would tell you who I'm going to be voting for. Now, I, I do think all the candidates are very, very passionate about this. Um, you know, the, I think all of them are. However, I really have to question the motivations and just the commitment to an open and transparent policy, you know, um, position. Because so many, I mean, we saw where Miller refused to talk to the editorial board of the newspaper because his wife wasn't there. His wife was always there. She was always answering questions, you know, often on his behalf. So, again, I have to question what the motivation for running there. Is it something the wife wanted to do? I don't know. But the fact that he refused to do the interview because his wife was not going to be included and wasn't present, um, I think that that's a red flag for me. You know, she may not be able to be at all the school board um, meetings where they have to make critical decisions for him to look upon to, to, to you know, and that, that's just me supposing here, you know, and again, this is all my opinion. This is just what I think. Um, 
I also, well, I think Kyrie is very passionate about it. You know, I think some of that is misguided. And I think that she definitely walks to the beat of a very, both of them, as a matter of fact, a very Christian drummer. And I believe in the separation of church and state. I believe that people should be able to be who they are, um, not what some ancient book tells them they should be. I think they should be able to love whoever they want to love, whoever they may find themselves in love with. Um, you know, and I, I just think that when we get into bringing Christian beliefs into a secular institution like education, it just never goes well. And, you know, they, there's all this talk about grooming and, you know, uh, it, it just, I, the people I worry about grooming are generally the people that are talking about it. You know, how many times have we seen Christian pastors or Catholic priests? I mean, the numbers are just astounding. I don't think it's the teachers in Estes Park, Colorado, that are grooming kids in the way that ways that these people are talking about. I think it's the people hiding and generally the ones t- pointing a finger at someone else. I think history supports that and revelations that seem to always come forward support that. So I distrust it. And, um, you know, I, I don't want anyone telling me my moral values based on a book that's 2000 years old, supposedly, or, you know, it's all debatable. My universe is bigger than that. And um, that's not the education I want for my own children. So I'm going to have to go with uh, Showcat and Weiss. I think that they are the best candidates. I think they're already plugged in. I think their hearts are in the right place. I don't think there are any possible hidden shadow agendas or shadowy uh, money donors that are going to come forward later and say, we, we wanted this done. We want this done. And we, we paved the way for you. I think that, uh, that, that in and of itself also, just for me, my votes will be going again to Brad Shockett and Brenda Weiss. And, um, so whoever you decide to vote for, Again, it is just so vitally important this election that we get out and we vote. Tell your friends, give people rides, whatever you have to do. Make this turnout happen and let your voice be heard wherever on the spectrum it is. Because if we don't use our processes of democracy, they go away. All right, folks. That's it for today. I know it's been a, a little bit longer of a podcast, but and hopefully this is like the last one I'll have to do on the school board race up until the point that we can just announce who the winners are, maybe interview them and you know see where things are moving forward in, in good ways after the election. Um, I think I'm going to, coming up in the next couple of weeks, I think I'm going to kind of dial down into the loop, the history of the loop why it is having such a huge, not really positive impact on the Estes Valley community and just how we got here. I mean, it just seems like nobody's accountable to what's happened. It's just, again, it feels like everything's falling on deaf ears. And I think that we need to 
let people know what is happening here in Estes Park. And um, with so many millions of visitors and, and thousands of people already living here, it's just we, we need to have some community discussions about the loop. And that does not seem to be happening, at least from the town's perspective at this point. So let's uh, let's dial in on that and, and really take a, a uh, dissecting look into what got us here with the loop. All right, folks, that's it for today. And um, stay classy, Colorado. Stay classy. I'm Jason Vantano. You're listening to the Colorado Switchblade.